Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily. I get the opportunity to serve in guest services and hospitality, uh, but also read scripture with you all. We're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 18 through 19. It's on page 573. Just a quick note, if you don't have a Bible at home, those blue Bibles under your seat, please feel free to take home one with you. All right, Colossians 3, verses 18 through 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's the Lord, the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Emily. Short and sweet. Should be uh, fun to preach you this. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, uh, I'm excited to teach this, even though it's obviously loaded, and that's an interesting word to use in our culture, submit to anything, but I get to unpack that. A few things. Kristen, is this your last Sunday with us? Not to put you on the spot, but you're leaving us. Oh my gosh. Kristen Friend, who has a great name, a great personality, a great joy about her, is moving to the east side and attending another redemption. So we're going to miss you. If you say, see Kristen today, make sure you give her a big hug. Is Houston here or is he playing hooky? Oh, okay. Well, it's been great having you. And this is a great last message on marriage that one spouse is going to listen to from the friend house. So <laughs> let's do this. Uh, another thing, our youth are at camp right now. They're in Point Loma. They'll be there till Tuesday. So Jimmy took our youth along with the other 10 redemption congregations. I think there's 500 youth, 100 adult helpers. Uh, so 600 people bus from here uh, to California. And I just want to stop and just kind of pray. Some of us have kids over there. Some of us uh, know the kids that are over there, but I just want to spend some time lifting them up in prayer. So would you close your eyes and just pray for our youth over there. God, we thank you for the teen years. Thank you for those junior high, high school years. They're a struggle. They're a gift. There's a lot wrapped up into that. And thank you for churches uh, and leaders within churches that step into that ministry to serve families and to love kids. I pray that's what's happening, that those kids, kids feel loved, they see, feel seen, they feel known, uh, and they feel more drawn to you because of their time spent at camp. So, Lord, we love you so much. Thanks for the gift of having kids, those of us that uh, have kids over there. Thank you for the gift of a church that has so many different generations represented. Lord, be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, like my man Fritz at the back, we're in the book of Colossians. We're walking through week by week to finish. We've got a couple weeks left. And just so you know, this is sort of a three, the start of a three-part miniseries. Today is marriage. Next week will be on parenting, and the following week will be on work. Based off these short, very sort of pithy uh, sentences from the Apostle Paul speaking to a church at Colossae about these issues in marriage and parenting uh, and in work. I sent out a slack to our team, just kind of key leaders, volunteers, hey, give me your best resources on marriage, podcasts, books, whatever. And I had a lot of great ideas uh, sent to me, but Anthony Hernandez had the most sort of artistic. He said, here would be my top three resources to get the fire going in marriage. Boys to men, which is maybe the greatest CD. I don't know if you say CD anymore, but album of all time right there. Pride and Prejudice, just to get your sort of romantic juices flowing. And then Silver Lines Playbook, which is a great movie. So that's Anthony Hernandez's way to fix marriages in the room. Hey, just put those on your Amazon cart and you'll be uh, great. I think he's on to something, though. Just the idea that marriage, we, we all know this, is not like a science experiment where we just got to figure out, okay, I need this much of this, this much of this, and once I get all the ingredients together, my marriage is set. But it's more like art. It's more like music, which is a dance. 
Like I think of a melody and a harmony. A melody is this main line. A harmony is responding to the person singing melody. A good marriage has people responding and listening to the other person. And in really good marriages, you're listening to the other person and you're listening to God himself. It's like this dance that we get to walk in. That's why uh, my big idea for this topic is marriage is more like good music. It's less like a precise science. That does not mean God doesn't have specific things to say about marriage. He does. But to walk into marriage, if you're single, if you're divorced, wherever you're at, to walk into a talk about marriage, what we're not assigning is, hey, do this, 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 walk out of here, you'll be set. It's more, this is the invitation by God into marriage, into this dance, into this song where husband and wife live together, work together, pray together, love together. And this is what the Apostle Paul is addressing in this church here. What's fascinating, just put your, I mean, the Bible... Uh, oftentimes, for most of us, gets sort of left out like this old religious book. But it's really just this collection of all these letters and writings that the people of God, us, have been collecting. And then it was, at some point got put together by the church. But this at one point was a letter that got sent to a church. And picture like a married couple. Like they're a year into marriage. They're like trying to figure out like, man, this is Harder work than I expected. Like, oh, man, this is rough. And they're, they're getting a letter from the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian thinker ever. And he's sending these letters, and he sent us a letter. And you're listening to this letter, and then it gets to the part about marriage. And Emily was up here for about five seconds. And someone would read this letter, and this is all they would say. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. End of marriage talk. Let's just sit with that. In a world that loves words... In the abundance of words, in the abundance of advice and counsel, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, sent this letter originally to brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago, and now he sends it to us, and it's this long. So we don't want to, like, shoot out and bounce all over the place. We want to sit with what God has given us here, and we want to wrap our mind around what God has in store for marriage, and it's more like a good song than a precise science. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask three questions with our time together. What, how does a wife provide the harmony in this song of marriage? How does the husband provide harmony? And then what does Jesus provide in marriage? And here's what I want to do. This might be a little vulnerable. But I want to close our eyes and pray again. And specifically for you in your stage of life. You're in a good marriage. You're in a rough marriage. You're in a season of loneliness, wanting to be married. You're just out of a divorce. Just ask the Spirit to meet you by the Word of God this morning. Father, that's our prayer, that you would meet us. You are alive yesterday, today, and forever. And you have the wisdom and counsel that we all need. And you have the spirit that fills our hearts. And you have the person of Jesus who we get to learn from. Everything we need for life and godliness is here. Give us the ears to hear and the hearts to listen. And give us the feet to step in the direction we need to step in. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So here's the first question, just what are we not talking about? Because you talk about marriage, husbands, wives, men, women, male, female, a whole lot of cans can be opened up. And I just want to say what we're not going to be talking about, not because they're not important, it's just not what's addressed in this. So the first thing is the theology behind men and women in the Bible. The big fancy term is complementarianism or egalitarianism. It's how you view women and men and their roles in the church and in the home specifically and to a lesser degree society. But we are not talking, this is not a theological system approach to here's how men and women should relate in the church and in homes. This is a specific letter written to marriages, husbands and wives, not a book on men and women. Here's the other thing we're not talking about is we're not talking about the role of women in gender in general in society. Like there's not a more hot button topic than that. What is a man? What is a woman? What do you say is a man? What do you say is a woman? We're not talking about men and women and male and female. That's important and the Bible has a lot to say. But we would exhaust ourselves diving all over the Bible, and we would miss the fact that Paul just addresses, hey, husbands and wives, here's my thoughts from the Holy Spirit for you in your marriage. And then finally, here's the last thing. We're not talking to non-Christians, and that means these aren't rules for those of you that don't trust Jesus currently. Like the Bible is here for those who have submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit is helping you apply that. This is for Christian husbands Christian wives, and those who care about what God says about Christian husbands, Christian wives, whether you're single, divorced, whatever you may be. And let me just make another. This is not for Christian marriages only, meaning there's a Christian husband and there's a Christian wife. Christian husband married to a wife who does not love Jesus, listen up. Christian wife who is married to a man who does not love Jesus, listen up. I had lots of talks after my first sermon, as you can imagine. And we are all over the board with the seasons and the chapters and the stories of our marriages in this little church right now already. So we all need to listen. But specifically, Christian husbands, Christian wives, that's what we're talking about. And the first question that Paul addresses, which just so you know, women were never addressed first in this society. So the Bible is always coming in and saying, this is how you do it. Here's how God does it. And the first person he addresses is the woman, is the wife, which is another way to God just to say, hey, I see different than everyone else. And women, I want to honor you by speaking to you first. So the first person he speaks to is a wife. How does a wife provide harmony? Let's read it again. Emily did a great job. But just to get on the same page, here's the suggestion. Not suggestion. Here's the command from God. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I'll read it again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's it. So the question is not, uh, what else do you have to say? It's, what do I think about what was just said? And a lot of us, that hits in a lot of different ways. Like I ask people, I ask women, how does it feel when you hear the submission talk? brought up in church feels disgusting why because this it feels unfair why because of this it feels unjust it feels way so way too old school and archaic like we have moved on from those times that is not the world we live in anymore so we all are going to hear it and we all live in this current modern day and we all hear it through a variety of lenses we just got to admit like that god maybe right now this is how i hear that i've heard this before i've heard it again right now and i still hear it the same way it's hard for me to hear that. Here's one thing people do to sort of deal with that reality, is, well, then, this really doesn't apply now anymore. It was more of a cultural statement for Paul to make here 
in Colossae. And sometimes that's true. I mean, there's passages in the New Testament none of us let be applied to our lives. So we all take that approach. So is this one of those instances? Like, yeah, this was just a throwing it at Colossae, but come on, Arizona in 2022, you guys got to figure out. You don't need to listen to this. The problem with that is every time it's marriage is talked about in the New Testament, every time, and every time w- women, wives, and husbands are addressed, it says essentially the same thing, especially for the wife. I just want to read a few passages. First Peter, another apostle, friend of Jesus, he says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That's Peter's advice to wives. Be subject, same word, submit. And let your inner adornment be more beautiful than any outer adornment. Fast forward, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote that too. It's a very messed up church, very sexually uh, despicable church, a lot of stuff going on. And he's trying to self-correct and get marriage in the right lane. And here's how he describes marriage. I want you to understand, this is 1 Corinthians 11.3, that the head of every man is Christ. Man, Christ. And that the head of Christ is God. And that the head of every wife is her husband. So just, so we all can kind of be on the same page. Christ is the head of every man, above Christ is God, and then a wife is told that you are underneath a man, he is the head of you. We can just admit, like, Christ got the better end of the deal. He gets God as the head of him, man gets Christ, and then a woman is called to submit to, be under the headship of a fallen, fallible, sinful husband. But that's what the Bible says. Ephesians says something very similar and just equally as terse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So however you walk in here, and again, if you really have like major issues, please talk to me. Like I want to start a conversation about this. I didn't get into pastoring to end debates. I got into pastoring to help people, specifically to help marriages. It's like core to my being. So come talk to me. But as we open, wherever we flip in the Bible about marriage, it's going to say wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, here's another thing we just got to remember. The Bible is not the, the first set of rules ever to be dropped in on mankind. Like those in Colossae, those in Philippi, those in uh, Corinth, everywhere, there was already a set of rules at play. There's already a culture with their own sort of cultural understanding. The Bible was not like onto a blank state. The Bible is being dropped into places where there are already rules in play, whether it's Phoenix, Arizona, whether it's Virginia, whether it's the most progressive part of Portland, Oregon, whether it's the most conservative part of Dallas, Texas. Everywhere there's a set of assumptions and rules that we all go by. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter and saying, hey, I've got better rules for you. I know what culture says. Here's what God says. So when you hear it through that lens, the question is not, how do I like how this feels? The question is, are these rules, is this set of guidelines better than what the culture offers, both in faithfulness to God and loving, flourishing, horizontal relationships? And I think over and over and over and over again, it proves absolutely. Like just for example, here's the rules for modern day, or first century wives. If you do any sort of study on Rome, wives had no legal rights, no voting rights. It was husbands, it was wives, it was children, it was slaves. That's it. Foreigners. It was husbands were in charge. So here's the rule for wives. If we backwind 2,000 years, the wives in here, here would be the rules out there for us to go play by. Wives, obey 
for your husband's in charge. Period. End of story. Women got married at like 12 to 14 years old. Men were usually about 20. There was always mistresses, side chicks. There was prostitutes. And the wife was just called to sort of expand the family. Especially Rome already had a declining birth rate. And they were trying to make sure their population kept going. Rome, we want Pax Romana to keep going. Well, what's going to help that? Families and marriages. Therefore, wives, obey and make families. Do your job as a good Roman citizen. What's fascinating, you start to dig around in archaeological finds. One of the most rare things to find is a gravestone about a man with anything nice to say that his wife said. So it's like when you find a gravestone that says, John was kind to Mary, it like blows people's minds. Because kindness, gentleness, a husband that took good care of their wife was not the norm. Why? Because that's the rule. Fast forward today, do we have better rules? In some ways, yes. In some ways, I mean, life is better now than it was then in a lot of ways. But here's, I think, if I had to summarize the rules for marriage, just in life in general. Be you and be happy. And how does marriage fit into that? Well, if it lets you be you and it lets you be happy, here's what I'd say. Get married if it makes you happy. Stay married if you're happy. Get divorced if you'll be happier. And remain unmarried if you're happy. Either way, are you happy? And how does marriage fit into that? Then fit marriage into your happiness. And all of us live by that standard. That's like our default oxygen we breathe in this world. Now, what does Paul say to both cultures? Modern, Rome, 2,000 years ago, America in 2022. He says this. Here's the rule for wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So just so you know, everybody's got rules about marriage. You're not going to go find a spot where there's like not rules. It's just, are these rules best? And I think based off God being all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, I would say these are the best rules we have, framework we have for marriage. And what is a wife called to? I'm going to walk through this and just kind of spend a little time on the wife's uh, role here. But here's some questions I want to ask with each of these. Submission. What is the wife called to? Why is this difficult? You're like, a number three, what should it look like, feel like, blessing, and how is it a blessing? So what is the wife called to? The word there used is submission. It is used 38 times in the New Testament. It's used with creation, submitting to God, rock submitting to God. It's submit to the government. It's uh, submit to all authorities in charge. It's used all over. And in marriage, it's specifically used when addressing the wife, wife, submit. Peter, wives submit. Paul and Corinth, wives submit. What does the word submit mean? It means to yield to another person. Like if, if you just look it up in the dictionary, accept or yield to the authority or the will of another person or thing. Another definition says this, to willingly put yourself under someone or something else. To willingly submit to someone else. And you're like, you're spending a lot of time with us. It's the only word Paul gives to this church. So we got to be clear. Like, do I know what that means? That's what it means is to willingly submit. Here's my definition based off what I think my wife and I would teach. We've done a lot of marriage counseling. It's not just an action, but here's what we'd say. Submission is both an attitude of the heart and a decision of the will at times. It's like my heart, I want a submissive heart. And that's not just, women don't just need submissive hearts. We all do. But in context of marriage, submissive heart and submissive actions as I walk into moments where those, are, those opportunities are provided. That's submission. What is submission not? This might be one of the 
I'll say it this way. The most gross, disgusting, weird counseling situations I'm in as a pastor and a church that really holds the Bible to be the Word of God and we take this serious are in areas where men and women misuse this word, but mostly men. It's either they got it from a long lineage of this is what it means, but it's like this word can be used in a lot of wrong ways. But submission is not, here's the first thing, not obedience. A wife is not called to obey her husband. That's not the word. We're going to see next week we talk about parenting and kids. Children obey, wives submit. It is not, my, my wife gets equal voice into everything. She could ask me anything about anything. There is nothing off limits. My kids, not the same story. Hey, you get to know this much knowledge because you're a kid and your job is to obey. Wife, we're both an open book. This is an equal arrangement. We are a team. It is not obedience. That's not the word. Here's the other thing it's not. It is, my wife loves to ask the question, hey, do you know what submission means? We meet with, you know, husbands and wives or people engaged. And the wives will say, yeah, I know what it means. It means this. And she's like, give me an example of last time you submitted. And almost every time, it's an example of where the wife or soon-to-be wife already wanted that thing to happen. For example, when's the last time you submitted? Well, when we went to California for seven days. Well, what did you want to do? I wanted to go to California for seven days. And my wife said, that is not even close to being submission. Submission is when you want something. He says something else. What you want submits. Translation, you don't get what you want. And the wife will say, well, I've never done that. And she's like, well, that's why you're here for counseling with us right now. <laughs> that's submission. And my wife would say, it's hard. It's not fun. But that's what submission is. It's not you already in agreement with the choice being made. It's you submitting, even though you have different opinions. And submission is not this, not having a voice, especially with people who come from a church line, and especially women who have a sort of submissive disposition. They want to they do well by God. They want to do well. I think overplay what submit means a lot of times. And it, you have equal voice in everything. There's no secrets. There's not the husband's in charge of this, and you gotta, you can speak up into anything. I think the Bible will give you wisdom on when you're maybe speaking too much or too harshly, whatever, but you have a voice in everything. That is not submission. Submission is a submissive heart in this relationship, and there's decision, critical points, inflection points, where you say, that's not what I want, but I will submit. That is submission. And what is the motivation Paul gives for us? It's simply, it's fitting in the Lord. He doesn't say, wives, submit, because your husband at some point will figure it out more, I promise. Wives, submit, because it'll be the best thing for you. Wives, submit, because it's fitting in the Lord. It's the way God wanted this to work, which is true in a lot of areas of life that we're all trying to figure out. Just specifically for wives and the calling that some of us have in this room as wives, it's fitting in the Lord that this would be your posture. Now, here's the easiest question in the world to answer. Why is submission difficult you just say this guy right here and Aubrey points to this guy on stage why is it difficult here's the first I got a few reasons based off just my experience you married I'm speaking to wives you married a knucklehead <laughs> and at very best here's how I'll say it you don't, just don't get him which happens a lot with Aubrey and I like I don't get you I don't get you I don't get you at worst which is where marriages are kind of toxic and some of us in this room may be this you just don't respect him but you married a knucklehead your own choice, your own volition, 
And at best, you don't get them. At worst, you just don't respect them. That's why submission's hard. And that's not like something that gets fixed overnight, but it's good to be aware of and to even name it. Andy Creo, who's my wife's mentor, he led her to the Lord. He's an elder at Redemption Tempe. He now says this. This is one of his famous marriage quotes. Every woman marries a man hoping she can change him. And every man marries a woman hoping she will never change. And they were both severely disappointed. <laughs> you're not going to change the guy. And she's going to change a lot. And you're called to love that person, submit to that person, be in marriage with that person person here's the other reason you have not been taught the beauty of this ethic either family of origin I come from a broken home my parents divorced when I was in eighth grade they were great at fighting epic I mean like I told last service probably four nights a week there was like this epic throwdown fight stuff falling off the walls that's my upbringing and now I get to teach on the ethic. So we, we all kind of are short-changed in this some of us get lucky and hit the jackpot with marriage family who loves them but most of us are like, I've never seen this. And some of us are in churches where this is taught very, very poorly. But that's another reason why submission is hard. We just have a poor ethic of it. Here's the other thing is you are less, again, wives, I'm talking to you. You are less scared when you're in control or when, at least when you feel like you're in control. Like that's kind of the heart of this is God's calling you to sub- Husbands, Christ is your head. Christ, God is your head. Wives, that guy's your head. Submit to him. That's scary to let him be in control. So the best illustration I have of this is, is kind of odd because me and I have gotten a fight about this Saturday. But uh, my driving, which is mostly awesome or close to awesome, like 95%, whatever the rating you would give. I get a speeding ticket every three years, and it's usually justified on my part. Like, I don't get in accidents. But whenever I'm driving, Aubrey is sort of just tense. And I can see in her body language, I can see in her eyes, I can hear it in her words sometimes when she chooses to tell me, hey, I don't. And Aubrey is a very cautious driver. Very kind of buttoned up, you know, she'd be a great high school instructor. <laughs> and there's times where I'm sitting in passenger and I'm kind of bracing myself. And I had this realization years ago, just like, oh, that's what God is calling her to. Because she's doing this really well. I just don't know when she's going to turn lanes. I don't know if she sees that thing I see. I don't know. But I'm choosing to sit in the passenger seat. And First Peter says it like this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner as they are the weaker vessel. And a lot of church people, especially men, screw that passage up and make it mean a million different things. I think at its core it means a woman, a wife, is choosing the weaker position. She's choosing to submit. Be aware of that. She's always in the passenger seat. And it's scary. So wives have a choice. They can grab the wheel and try to be in control, which feels better, or they can submit and give it to the Lord. That's another reason why it's hard. Here's the other fourth reason. You are in a culture, wives, that forbids submission to anyone except yourself. Like I thought, when are you going to hear the word submit in the next seven days? You leave here, you go have lunch, you watch whatever you watch tonight. When are you going to be taught, trained? When are you going to hear a song, a podcast, where the whole point is to teach you, to train you, to lift up the ethic of submission? Never. And then you come to church, and it's like, here, with your most important relationship and your most difficult relationship, here's what you need to remember. Submit. It's so countercultural. And then finally, the most basic one, which I should have started with, you are a sinner, and you're married to a sinner. And you both need lots of confession and lots of grace over and over and over again. And that's why submission's hard. 
but beyond that, how should submission look and feel in a marriage? Like here's, when I see it done poorly, I'm like, that's not how it's supposed to feel or look. Well, what should it look like? What should it feel like? And here's just, again, I can't, I'm not going to be able to take you to a verse on this one, but in our marriage, we've been married 15 years, and I've watched a lot of good marriages in churches I've been a part of. What does submission look like, feel like? Here's the first thing I would say, is the word submit should not really ever be used, especially by the husband. The worst marriages often have a variety of reasons, but oftentimes it's a husband who thinks that word is his to use as a tool to train his wife. And notice, the Apostle Paul never says, Husbands, listen up. Here's your, your job. I'm passing this on to you. Your job is to go tell the woman you're married to to submit. Paul addresses the wives. Wives, submit. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to the women only. For the Holy Spirit to do the work the Holy Spirit's going to do. That doesn't mean you don't talk about it, but it's not our job as husbands. You know what my job is? To put this over Aubrey's head as often as I can in a reminder of that S word that's in here multiple times. That's not. Just don't use it. Like, I don't think we've used it in 15 years of marriage. It's understood, it's implied, it's read about, it's studied, it's prayed over, but it's not a word we're using in any way, shape, or form. My wife would say, I think she still agrees that maybe there's been added in the last week, twice in our marriage there's been moments where she had to submit. The other picture of a healthy marriage is the idea of submission doesn't happen all the time. If you're having to submit or in your heart choose to submit like often every week, you got other work to be doing. But twice in our marriage, once over a move, I felt called back to Arizona. She was like, our life in Texas is great. We both set our deal. We both spoke. We both prayed. We both talked. We both spoke. We both prayed. We both talked. And I said, I still think we need to move back to Arizona. And my wife did not want that decision, and she submitted Another one involves extended family, which is going to be a lot of the issues or has been a lot of the issues for all of us who are married. And there was this clunky thing, and I'm like, I think we should handle it this way. And she's like, I think this way. And we talked and we prayed and we talked and we prayed. I said, I think we should handle it this way. She says, okay, I'll submit. I don't like it at all, but that's what we'll do. So you shouldn't be using it. It's not a word to be thrown out. And even the idea of submission happens rarely in healthy relationships. Here's the other thing I think it should feel like. Women, wives, submission should feel both joyfully freeing and impossible to do. Like there's a freeing aspect of saying the burden of responsibility is not on me. When the whole earth started its implosion because of sin, because of a choice Adam and Eve made, God walked on the scene and he said, Adam. He didn't talk to Eve which is a way to say there's a headship here. He screwed up. There's a burden of responsibility. I think of my parents, both happy, joyful people, but both small business owners, so less joyful and less happy than ever. Why? Because my dad loves putting sprinklers in. He loves being a plumber, and now he's a small business owner and has been. And there's a burden to running the business that's different than just being the guy installing. My, wife, my mom was a waitress, and then she bought a restaurant. Way different. Husbands and wives, husbands, you have a burden of responsibility that your wife doesn't. Wives, enjoy the freedom of that. But also in that, my wife would say submitting is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing to do. It's going to feel impossible. And impossible is good for Christians because it leads you to desperation and prayer. God, I can't submit to him. It's been two years. He is the same person. I cannot. The only way this is going to happen is some sort of miracle happens. God, step in. 
help me. And then third, I'd say this is husbands. This is how it should feel. Submission should feel both honoring and extremely weighty. Like a woman has chosen to marry you. And a part of God's design is that she's called to submit to you. What a great honor. And also what a terrifying reality that that weight is on you. I became a Christian at 18 years old. I started praying consistently at 24 years old. College, grad school, did not have a consistent prayer life. The thing that changed is I got married. And I started reading the Bible more. And I realized this is a, this is a heavy responsibility I've taken on. And that's when my prayer life took off. It wasn't a crisis. It was a realization of the weight that marriage brings into the life of someone. And man, you should feel that. If you don't, you're not feeling it properly. There should be a weight. Scary at times, but heavy. And it should lead you to something like prayer. And though you single guys in the room, you should be a little scared of getting married, but you should not be a wuss. Get married. <laughs> Serious. Being single is the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. It's also one of the least rewarding things out of my entire life as I look back. Because it required nothing. I snowboarded, I went to concerts, I snowboarded, I went to concerts, I went on dates, I snowboarded, I went to concerts, I ate, I spent money on clothes, and then I get married. And it's like, I prayed. <laughs> Why is submission a blessing? Wives, here's the thing, as we talked about it, We've, you know, we plan on what we're going to teach, and this especially is near and dear. I text a few pastor friends, hey, how can I be praying for you? Three of them said, hey, pray for the marriages in my church. We, this, we know this is heavy. But wise, if you choose to have the submissive spirit, the submissive heart, what are you choosing to do? Here's the language we came up with. It's like a wife that says, you got this. You got this. You got this. I know you got this. And men who do not have that are crumbling. And one of the ways you can best give that is a wife who submits. Wives, submit. It's fitting in the Lord. Now, how does a husband provide this harmony in marriage? Paul says very simply, husbands, verse 19, look there, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Pause right there. Now, men are interesting, husbands especially. It's like beating the same drum with the wife talk in the New Testament. Husbands, God sort of colors it in more. He brings a little more force, a little more like, hey, I said, and what does he say in different, 1 Peter 3, 7 says this to husbands. Husbands, live with your wives, I already mentioned, in an understanding way, showing honor to her, the woman, as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you in this grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Understand your wife. She's a co-heir with you. If you don't understand your wife, I'm turning down the volume on your prayers. I'm done listening. No wife gets any sort of threatening challenge like that from the Lord in the New Testament. Ephesians says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Later on in Ephesians, he says, in the same way, husbands love their wives as much as they love their own bodies. He who loves his life loves his wife. What is the call on men? To love and to understand and to cherish. Notice, wives submit. It says a few other things, but that's essentially husbands love. It's never said in the New Testament, wives love your husbands. In general, love other Christians. But that's fascinating. If we want to take the Bible serious, why did they include the language they include? There's something to that. Apparently, men need constant reminders. Hey, your job is to love, to love, to love. Women, maybe less so. The closest it comes to oh, a, a, a passage saying, wives, love your husbands, is in Titus. It says, older women of the church, teach the younger women how to love their husbands. But the word love is actually the word like. So it's like 
Trisha DeBartolo, <laughs> all you women that have had this while, here's your job in this church. Just teach these younger ladies how to stand, enjoy, be friends with the husbands they have. And we giggle, but there's something to that. It's not like Trisha and women have this hard time loving their spouse. It's liking them, moment by moment. Husbands, love, 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 love. Just fascinating. And then also, along with love, here's some warnings. If you don't understand her, I will shut off your prayer life. I'm done listening to you. And then in this one, love your wives and do not be harsh. Don't embitter them. Don't make them hate their life. So it's like husbands get a lot bigger thing, love. Wives submit and don't mess this up. Don't be harsh and you better understand them. That's the call on men. Now, again, as we enter this, this is not just the first time a rule's been given to marriage. What were the rules in marriage back then for these men listening to? Here's first century Rome. It was much more, obviously, sexist, patriarchal, not healthy. Here's first century Rome. Get yours. Talking to the husband. Again, this is not an official document you'll find online. This is my summary statement. Get yours with anyone and reproduce with one. That would be your wife in service to Rome. Like men could have sex with anyone. They had slaves, male and female slaves. They had mistresses. But hey, and Rome was struggling in the first century with population. We need to have this marriage thing work. So you need to get married and you need to reproduce. Husbands, that's your role. And some of you are like, why did we ever change that role? It's demean- no man really was thriving under that. Seems like it, but it's not. They're eating junk food when there's this platter of God's goodness in true marriage. What about fast forward today? It's the exact same rules for husbands and wives which we just have to constantly remind ourselves, like culture is going to tell me, am I being me fully and am I happy? If so, then I'm good. Does marriage fit in that? Great. If it doesn't, great. Fix that. But that's the, as we leave here, as we listen to stuff, that's the sort of message. Be you, be happy, be you, be happy, be you, be happy. How does marriage fit? Well, then throw it out. And Paul would say this to you husbands and me in this room. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love, do not be harsh. So again, just like we had with the wives, what's the husband called to? Why is this difficult? What should it look like, feel like, and how is it a blessing? A man is called to love, and I'll say gentleness as a summary statement of this. What is the husband called to? He is called to love. What sort of love? Unconditional love. In the New Testament, there's four words you can use for love. Eros, erotic love, sexual, passionate love. Storge, which is like natural love. I love Doritos. I love trees, you know. Phileo, brotherly love, it's a friendship. Or agape, unconditional love. When the love of Christ is talked about in the New Testament, anywhere in the Bible, it's agape love. Instead of using one of these, Paul says, I want you husbands to love agape love, unconditional. Without conditions. It's not just erotic. It's not just because she looks good. It's not storge. It's not just because that's what we do. We love people in our household. It's not phileo. It's not just you're trying to have a friendship. It's agape, unconditional love. That's what husbands are called to. And then he says, and do not be harsh with them. Another translation says, don't make your wives bitter. Again, fascinating. Wives submit. Again, we unpack that. But husbands, love and don't make your wives bitter. Don't make them harsh. Don't be harsh with them. Now, here's the question. 
is that second part, the gentleness piece, not being harsh, happening in your home. And I was trying to think through, how do you even assess that? Because counseling, pastoring, it's all trying to get below the layers of what's being said. So here's sort of what I ask you to ask yourself. Husbands, are you harsh with your wife? First question. Very easy to answer. You can, whether the answer is true or not, we'll see. But are you harsh with your wife? Second question I have you ask yourself is, does your wife think you're harsh with her? And again, that's a little harder, and it takes a little, like, putting yourself in her shoes, but it still doesn't get to, like, the heart of how your marriage is doing. The third question I would ask is, does your wife have the freedom to be completely honest with you, especially about these questions? If that can't be answered, then the harshness, like, there's no way she's ever going to be able to tell you anything with honesty. Why? Because you're harsh with her. And you might need to bring in a counselor or a pastor or someone to like help us figure this out. But we cannot be on the same page. Love your wife and do not be harsh with her. Love, unconditional love. How do we, what does that love even look like? Like for guys especially who love just practical, like tell me what to do. Whenever we go to the Bible and figure out how to be a great husband, it's going to say love, agape love, unconditional love. Basically like love like God love. What the heck does that mean? I think the place you start is in the Gospels, and you just get familiar with the person of Jesus. When I sent out that thing to the staff, hey, what marriage books would you give? One of the, per- uh, uh, I think it was Elena Cook sent out, I would do the person of Jesus, love walked among us. And it's great. It's basically just walking through the Gospels and zooming in on Jesus. What was he like? That's like the number one book I think husbands should read. Why? Because it's showing you what unconditional love looks like. The other thing I would have you do is read the old marriage verse that people have read all the time. At marriages, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. You're like, I don't know what love looks like. God knew guys were simple, and he gives us a sort of checklist. Here you go, guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That could be your quiet time on Monday morning, looking back on your week as a husband and asking God to help you love and not be harsh. Why is love difficult? Well, this is easy too. But here, here's number one I give for the guys. You don't have a book on loving her. You're actually writing this book on the fly. Like there's no marriage book on how to love Aubrey. I'm currently writing it on chapter three. And I go back and chapter two was wrong. I totally screwed that up. And chapter four is coming. But I'm spending my lifetime writing the perfect book on how to love Aubrey. And I'm going to give it to God when I die one day. And he's going to say, great job. Or, (laughs) Kathy Keller, she was married to a pastor in New York forever. She says this about marriage, which is so spot on. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Man, that is youth, isn't it? Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we're not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you have find yourself married. I remember talking to a young person in this church, and they're like, yeah, but I, I, my friends in this dating relationship, there's like this really big thing. And it came out, and they're like, see, I'm just a little worried. I'm like, you realize, once you say, I do, there's going to be another really big thing. And they just keep coming. Some of it's suffering. Some of it's like secrets exposed. Some of it's like just personality traits that change in time. Hormones, all that. You're writing the book. That's hard. 
That's why you need to pray. Second thing, you don't get ahead in most areas of your life, especially work, by being a good lover. Like you sell stuff by going after it. Or you work in this field. It's not like love is the thing that makes you succeed in all areas of life. But in marriage, it says this, love well. So how do you switch from work mode to home mode and put on love? One guy I talked to who has this really intense job, I'm like, how do you switch from that line of work into walking in to be a husband and a dad? He says, I go into my garage, I strip down all my clothes, get naked, and I walk in the house. I'm like, interesting, but it's more, <laughs> I'm here. He's, but his point was, I'm leaving work behind. It's a new reality. I go get some underwear on, hopefully, and I get to work as a husband and as a dad. Here's the third thing, and this is just, I, I see this in my own heart often when I'm not doing well. You have not properly defined success in your most important roles. Your most important role is a follower of Jesus. Your second most important role if you're married is that of, as a spouse. And the definition of success God has given you over and over again is love. So here's, a, am I loving my wife well? That's it. That's the question. Now, I know it's not a sex scene. It doesn't get as much billboard or playtime. But am I loving her well right now? Define success the way the Bible does. Number four, we're all in this boat together. We don't have models of what it looks like. We're all struggling to be like, what should this look like? Like I told you, I didn't see it in marriage. I've only learned it through couples in the church. And then fifth, same one as your wife. You are a sinner trying to love another sinner. And that sounds like, gosh, that's just truth. The more you repent, the more you confess, the more you admit your need for grace, the better your marriage will be. Now, what should a husband's love look and feel like in marriage? Here's the, th the illustration I use with young husbands, any husband really, but love, your love, your love as the husband to the wife should set the temperature of the culture in your house. Like we're talking to young guys that are wanting to be married where they're engaged. What does it look like to be the head of the house? And what, practically, what does it mean? I said it means you're the thermostat and the thermometer. You're the one setting the culture, the temperature, and you're the one checking it. Like, how are we doing? You're not defaulting, which is what Adam did when he was over here doing whatever while Eve was doing what she shouldn't be doing. It's engagement, which is opposite of what our natural flinch is, young men, old men, middle-aged men, near-death men. We all want to default to passivity. God calls us into something, specifically loving and setting a loving temperature. Second thing, husbands, I'll tell you this. This will be the least encouraging thing you hear all day. Husbands, love should feel like death if you're doing it well. Like, and it gets, marriages are sweet and wonderful, and the greatest thing in my life is Aubrey. But there are moments and seasons where I have to die to self, and Aubrey has to die to self if we're going to love each other well. And death is death. It's cutting off. It's eliminating. And here's the easy part of that for me as a Christian. I want to put to death the things in me that are bad, pride, anger, whatever. I don't want to put to death in me the things that are neutral, my personality traits that I think are pretty great. The speed of life I like to go at, the way I like to have conversations, all these things that are 100% neutral, but don't jive with Aubrey all the time. I have to put those to death if I'm going to love her well. Love should feel like death. And finally, wives, love should feel like exactly what you were made for, and it should also feel like it's the last thing you deserve if your husband's doing it well. Because it's not love when you're doing it great. It's when you're a sinner wife, your husband still has the capacity and the ability to love you and extend grace. Now, how is this love going to be a blessing? 
If the wife's job is to tell the husband, you got this, you got this, you got this. The husband's job is to tell the wife, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. And not in a, you're inferior, you don't have this figured out, or you couldn't do life without me. Not at all. It's, I've got you. In a broken, sinful, scary, dark world, I've got you more than anyone else in this world. Paul says this in Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I've got you. And one day I get to present her back to God. I've got you. That's what it should feel like for a husband to love his wife. Now, what is Jesus' role in all this? And this is where we end. It's not in the passage here. It's actually back a little bit. Go to verse 14. How does Jesus fit? Colossians 3:14, all this fits together. He's basically telling us how we're supposed to live as Christians. In 14, he says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Husbands are singing harmony, wives are singing harmony. Husbands are singing a loving harmony, wives are singing a submission, submissive harmony. Who's singing the melody? Above all, put on love. Whose love? My wife's love that is short, conditional. My husband's love that is absent. Whose love do I put on so that this can exist in perfect harmony? Put on love, the love of Jesus. As we were planning this, it's like, this feels like a good song. That's what marriage should feel like. Well, what, who's singing the melody line? In mo- most marriages, the wives are looking to the husband to sing the melody, and he's going to falter and fail. And the husbands are looking at the wives to sing a melody, and they're both missing. You're called to sing harmony, wives, in submission. Husbands, you're called to sing harmony. Jesus gets the melody. He's the loving, sacrificial, submissive one that we all tune our hearts to. What if your wife is off in how she's singing harmony right now? Just use this word submit, this submission. What if your wife is not singing that harmony well at all? What do you do? I was talking to a singer like, what happens if you're singing, there's a melody in your harmony, another person's harmony, and the other harmony is terrible? What happens? They say you just got to listen even harder to the melody, which is exactly what Christian marriage is like. Both of us doing our best to sing harmonies well, but often they're going to be off. And our job is not to critique and point fingers and belittle, but it's to listen to the melody. Jesus, who submitted himself, the king of the universe, submitted himself, put on human flesh, came down to earth. And what did he do while he was here on earth? He loved perfectly. How perfectly? To the point of death, even death on a cross. That's our main song in marriage. And that is our melody. And we get to harmonize with that. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God... I thank you for marriage. I love marriage. I love that this was your idea. And I even love just how hard it is because it draws us back to you. You have not called us to something that is easy or can be done with our own willpower, our own mental abilities, our own relational abilities. This can only be done by listening to the melody of love and submission that Jesus Christ perfectly embodies. So God, help us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite up. We have marriage ministry actually going, and part of this message, I'm like, I want to hear just kind of from the person, the people overseeing the marriages of this place, this church family. What do you sing in marriage? So I want to invite up Jack and Trisha DeBardo. Would you welcome them with me, please?
So they started the church with us many, many moons ago, a little over a year and a half ago, and marriage has always been on your heart, and now you get to oversee some of the couples in here know you well, but you do pre-marriage counseling, you do post-marriage counseling, coaching, you put on dinners at your house where you call it a marriage collective, you have married people, you have marriage all over the place. (laughs) So in a year and a half, and you know the scriptures well too, but what are you seeing in our people, especially in our marriages, what have you learned about maybe the gaps in what you're seeing with us? Um, yeah, it, thank you for yeah. having us um, just to chat about this. And um, one of the things, I mean, I was thinking as you were preaching, um, when we met with you and Aubrey, your hearts are so for the marriages of our church and wanting strong marriages. And um, I remember even at Josh married two of our kids um, <laughs> and uh, to other people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Those are my past marriages. You know what I mean. Yes. Um, anyway, and one of the things that he said was, you know, I love love. And he <laughs> loves to, like, officiate marriages. It's so sweet to me. And so I know it's their heart. And so uh, them allowing us to do this has been such a blessing. Um, and so one of the things is we have met with, Um, many um, couples is that we keep finding that when we come back around to just like okay let's see where you guys are at that that they're we're finding we're needing to encourage time with Jesus more Um, that one-on-one time Um, so many um, people don't come to you with that they just no they we can't get along like we can't get along we're at we're struggling we're having a hard time and you know and then we'll kind of dig a little bit and be like how's your time with Jesus you know and for the most part it'll be non-existent or Mm. here and there and spotty and so that is definitely one of the things that we try to really really encourage Mm. and um um, you know, in lots of different ways. So we get into that in Marriage Collective of like kind of the different ways you can do that. Right. So, and, and I think as we dig deeper into these couples and we hear these things so often, not only it comes back to that, you asked us for a couple things. Yeah. The second thing was like communication. We feel like the communication breakdown is, is really one of the, Trisha makes a joke. She said, basically, if you made communication problem is pretty much the reason why we have entertainment mm-hmm. and movies. Like we wouldn't, most movies, like the crux of the whole movie was there was a communication problem somewhere in the, <laughs> in the story. Right. It's, it's kind of true with even so many marriages is it comes down to communication. And so we talk about communication through finances, through your extended family, mm. through even how you're interrelating with one another all these things, and it so often comes back to that. So the foundation of your personal walk with Christ, and I think that's why it was so beautiful. I love the the image you created of him singing the melody and, and us mm. singing the harmony. If the two cup, if you're not each harmonizing with Christ, mm. something's off. Yeah, and that's so evident uh, when we meet with couples. So yeah, so yeah. time with Jesus and communication, which is kind of the if we yeah. boiled if it you down, were to write a book. That's <laughs> yeah. two chapters. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. I wanted to let Trisha, maybe more than anyone, this, I don't know how factual, that I'm assuming it's true, is you pray for the marriages of this church by name, by couple, more than anyone in the history of our young church. So I just want to give you a chance to pray over our church thank and you. pray for the marriages we have here. So thank, thank you. you. Thank I love you guys. Father, we just uh, humbly come before you, um, and we lift up the marriages of this church. Um, Father, I pray for those that might be struggling and um, hearing this message is, 
is hard, but I pray that it would just be a really good reminder to all of us. Um, we are all not far from struggling without you. And I pray that we would have our focus on you, um, that we would invest ourselves fully in um, time with you. I thank you so much um, that uh, you have made marriage this beautiful um, thing for us to enjoy. I pray that we would daily um, surrender ourselves and serve one another. And um, as we do that, um, we know we're serving you as well. And Father, I just thank you so much um, for everyone that's represented, um, the singles that are here, Lord, that maybe marriage is just a uh, a heart cry for them. I just pray that you would meet them where they're at and that um, you would just hear their voices in that. Father, I pray that you would draw us to you every day and remind us of the importance of our time with you. We just thank you so much for Josh and Aubrey and the heart they have for this church and for the marriages of this church. I pray that you would bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.